0: Welcome to another episode of the Everything College Basketball Podcast, your home for the latest news and analysis from the world of college hoops. Back again are your
1: hosts, Josh Burton, Phil Dexter, and Peyton Burton.
2: What is up, everybody? Welcome back to another edition of the Everything College Basketball Podcast, episode 139. I'm, of course, your host, Josh Burton. Joining me tonight on this late evening edition of the Everything College Basketball Podcast is a pair of my teammates, Mr. Peyton Dexter and Phil Dexter. You like that little jab, Peyton, for your little mess? What up? the What's hell?
3: Up, damn, Phil, how many damn brothers <laughs> you got? Holy shit! I was shit. about to say, I
0: just keep adding brothers every week. Did brothers, you? I don't even want. By the way,
3: yeah, I don't. It. I don't claim any uh, of you sons of bitches. <laughs> Listen, he's over here adding brothers <laughs> every week, like I'm adding a favorite team every week. Like it's getting ridiculous over here. <laughs> um, hey, it's like Hulk Hogan, brother, brother, brother.
2: Um, no, but seriously, brother we're doing booty. A late night episode. Normally we. Ha- brother booty, I like it. But no, we're recording later in the evening on Sunday evening. Uh, We had some other stuff we needed to handle first. And of course, we're not live tonight, so you'll just be the audio experience. We're going to uh, experience your ears. I hope you guys are ready for this. But as always, guys, uh, let you guys know that we're proud to be a part of the everything. Sorry, the House of College Hoops. This podcast. Podcast and is presented by the House of College Houston in part with the House Enterprise. You can go check our website, house enterprise.com, for more information. And we got to send some love to ECB's title sponsor this year, Beauty to Beast Nutrition, located in downtown Edinburgh, Indiana. It is a healthy juice bar. Stop in today and tell them ECB sent you for 10% off of your entire purchase. So, yesterday, Saturday afternoon, February 18th, It was the first peek inside of the March Madness. The selection committee let us in on the top 16 revealed. This has been an annual tradition for, what, the last four or five years now, where they start about this time of year. Kind of giving us a little peek inside of what the the brackets may or may not look like. And I know it's caused some controversy, but we're going to go over those top 16 teams as they were revealed yesterday afternoon before the start of the games yesterday. The number one overall seed, no surprise in my mind, is Alabama, but you look from 1 to 16. you got Alabama, Houston, Purdue, and Kansas as your one lines. You've got Texas, Arizona, Baylor, UCLA as the twos, Tennessee, Virginia, Iowa State, Kansas State as the threes, and then your four seeds, teams 13 through 16. Indiana Marquette Gonzaga Xavier and the reason I mentioned there's some scuttle but is a lot of Big East folks are upset that Connecticut is not ahead of Indiana so looking at that top 16 reveal anything that stands out to you um what's your opinion on the UConn over Indiana scenario and just any other random
3: tidbits from our first reveal at the bracket? i tell you what, uh, I don't mind Indiana being ahead of UConn. I can certainly understand Big East fans, especially Connecticut fans, um, clamoring to be ahead of Indiana in this reveal. But i tell you what, those three seeds you just mentioned, Tennessee, Virginia, Iowa State, Kansas State, I don't like them. I think they're good teams, but outside, when they go on the road, neither one of them are really great. And I think they can take uh, an early X in the tournament. I don't really like those three seeds. Everyone else, like the one seeds I'm fine with, two seeds I'm fine with. Four seeds to an extent, I'm fine with. But those three seeds, I'm not a fan of pretty much really either of those teams right now.
0: Yeah, nothing really jumped out at me. Like Peyton said, I think the uh, the three and the four seeds are pretty vulnerable, I would say. Maybe not in the first round, but definitely in that second round. Um, kind of surprised to see Gonzaga squeak in here. I was thinking that they might be more in the five to six range right now. Uh, yeah. Especially you know, after the St. Mary's loss. That's maybe the if I had to pick a biggest surprise and I mean, I'm not like shocked, but I was kind of expecting them to be outside the top 16.
3: Yeah. surprise not to see a team like St. Mary's in there that's wild to me. I didn't think about let that me, till now. Let me ask you guys of the, the teams in the
2: top two seed lines. So your Alabama, Houston, Purdue, Kansas, Texas, Arizona, Baylor, UCLA of those eight teams, three weeks from today, when we head into selection Sunday, Which one or two are most likely to drop a seed line of those eight teams?
0: I think one of the two of UCLA or Arizona potentially drops a seed line. I think they still have another head-to-head matchup with each other. And then, you know, potentially, whichever team doesn't make it through the Pac-12 tournament, I think could drop a seed line. So that's definitely something to look out for. Um Wouldn't be shocked just because of how brutal the Big 12 is if Baylor were to drop a seed line. I mean, I really like Baylor going into the tournament, but just, again, that's an absolute dogfight every game in the Big 12. So could see them dropping a couple of games down the stretch here, too.
3: Yeah, I see either Arizona or UCLA potentially dropping um, a seed lower. I think the one seeds are pretty set and sewn. Um, I definitely can see a team like Baylor or maybe even a team like Texas to drop a seed, but man, that Big Twelve is so tough this year that every game just matters and it's all about war in the Big Twelve this year. So I don't know. I think I agree with him. I think either some one of those teams in the Pac-12, either Arizona you UCLA, I can see one of those teams dropping.
2: I know I'm gonna get a lot of hate for this, but just based on the way they, they're playing, they've lost three of their last five. They've still got the massive game we will preview in the midweek show and the game that you and I will be at Peyton covering, which I'm excited about. But if Purdue, let's say they lose the Indiana game on Saturday and they drop another one along the way, whether it be Illinois at the end of the regular season or maybe get bounced early in the Big Ten tournament, I've seen Joe Lenardi say coming into today's game against Ohio State that if they lost that one, that they would drop to a two line. I think Purdue still got another loss or two before the NCAA tournament starts. I think that there's a good chance Purdue slides all the way to the two line. That That's just my opinion. I don't trust the way they're playing right now. And I think that one. they've got at least one more loss, if not two before the tournament.
0: And a team outside those top two seed lines that I think has, you know, pretty good potential to drop totally out of this top 16 is Iowa state. You know, they're sitting on the three line right now, but their schedule down the stretch here is tough. They go to Texas and they have OU and West Virginia at home, but then finish up at Baylor. I mean, they could very easily go one and three in those games and find themselves as a six or seven seed rather than a three seed.
3: Yeah, I agree. I think I would say you can well, definitely then, drop out of this, these whole like top 16 teams here, especially like they can't win on the road. They struggle so much. They, when they're at home, they're really damn good. They're a top 10, a top, top 15 team. But once they go on the road, they can't. They just don't perform like they should. And I definitely can see them losing uh, a couple of these games coming well, soon, and potentially dropping out of like, another one, contest. Uh, another one of these top
2: 16 teams that I think is very likely at this point point is Tennessee we're going to talk about the game yesterday but you talk about another team that struggled when they had the bracket reveal yesterday they were ninth team of 16 they are a three seed I could see them dropping to a five I just don't trust the way Tennessee's playing but conversely on the flip side of the teams bracketed uh from nine to 16 which would be three and four seeds what team or two could you see jumping up a line now I don't know if any of these teams could get to one but I think a few of them could have finished the year out strong and get to a two line. So, looking at the three and four seeds, what team or teams could you see making a
3: late run to get up to a two line at best? Um, Potentially one of those teams in the Big 12. I, I would say Kansas State, but I just don't think it's going to happen. I think Marquette, though. I think Marquette can sneak up there and get like a three, potentially maybe a two seed. We'll see. Uh, they got that big game against Creighton, this too, that we'll talk about later. But if they win that game and they win the Big East regular season, and especially if they go on to win the Big 12 uh, conference tournament this year, I can see them sneaking up to potentially a two seed.
0: Yeah, I think uh, Virginia – is, you know, they're sitting at a three seed right now, number 10. And I think that they could conceivably move up to a two seed just because they have a really easy schedule down the stretch here. I mean, they don't have anything that's really going to have them jump anybody. But if they handle their business and some teams in front of them lose, I think they could very easily move up to a two.
2: And Virginia was my team as well. But you also got to look at the performances. They've not, they're not blowing teams out. And I know historically they don't necessarily, but they played a really bad Notre Dame team Um, last night and barely squeaked out a victory. It came down to the wire against Louisville earlier in the week. So I don't like how Virginia is playing despite them winning. I hate to continue to beat this drum, but I love the way Indiana's playing. I think if they can finish the year out strong, they've got trips to Purdue, Michigan state, they get Michigan back home. They, I think Wisconsin's still on there. If they can go unbeaten during that stretch, and get, it, let's say they get to the final, the Big Ten final, depending on what obviously happens ahead of them, I think Indiana's got a stronger resume as anybody for a two line. And that's impressive considering that little streak they hit back in early
3: January. Yeah, I think it's definitely possible, especially if they beat Purdue this Saturday and McInerney and sweep down for the regular for this regular season. I think that's important. Uh, if they want to get up to a two seed. I agree. But you're talking about your point about Virginia. Uh, that Duke game, they should have lost. Louisville, they very well could have lost. They only won by three points. And then Notre Dame, they just squeaked one out one won by two points. They very well could have been on a three-game losing streak right now. Um, definitely should have lost the Duke game. They got – I do got host in that one, but I agree Though I think Indiana could definitely sneak up there.
0: Yeah, like you guys said, I mean, I think for Indiana, it really all depends what happens in this Purdue game on Saturday. Um, that's a just a huge win for them. That's going to give them, you know, another quad one win, all that good stuff. But some teams in front of them are going to falter as well. So that's why I keep saying, you know, it's not even so much getting big wins as it's just handling your business at this point, because nobody's really been able to string together three or four straight wins.
2: And that has been a common theme this year across the country. A lot of parody in college basketball. But let's move on. It was the game of the day in the ECB Weekly Pick'ems for an obvious reason. is a top 10 matchup. Kansas looking to extract a little bit of revenge against Baylor. Inside Fog Allen. Teams tied at the top of the Big 12 Conference. The best in college basketball this year. Along with the Texas Longhorns. All three teams came into yesterday's action. 9-4 and four in conference play. And this game... For at least 20 minutes, looked like Baylor was about to walk into Fog Allen and do what very few teams have been able to do in the Bill self era, and that is not only beat Kansas, but run them off the floor. Peyton, I know you had faith in your Jayhawks. You mentioned at halftime, this bitch ain't over with yet. But after that first 20 minutes, if we're being real and putting your analyst hat on, part of you in the back of your mind had to think, oh my God, Baylor's for real. Like they had you down at one point, forty to twenty-three, with three thirty left to go in the first half. Uh, talk to us about the first half, uh, just kind of what Baylor looked like, and that three-headed monster in the backcourt is as good as anybody in the country.
3: Well, it is better than it's the best backcourt in the country. I've been saying it all season long, and especially this when Big Twelve play started up. Like I've been saying for the past couple weeks, that any given night, at least bare minimum, two of these guys are going to go off and have a great game. Man, all three of them had a great game in the first half. I mean, they had 33 points at one point, and all their points came off of the backcourt's fingertips. Keontae George was balling out. He had uh, – let me pull the stats back up. He had at the halftime. He had 15 points in the first half, 5-8 from the field, 4-6 from the three-point line. Unconscious, Collier, too. Yeah, I mean hitting like 28 footers, step back, hit an A and one, uh three A and one. Um, LJ Cry had 13, Flagler had 14. The only person who scored outside that backcourt was Jalen was Bridges, and he had three points. That was off of a three-pointer. Those guys just tore us apart. Our energy in the first half wasn't great. Defensively, our rotations wasn't the best either. Rebounding, we got pretty much dominated on the glass. Uh, gave up too many second-chance offense rebounds to Baylor, and that's what allowed a lot of guy like LJ Cryer to really get going from three. Uh, first half they put up 45 points on us, down 13 points going in the second half. And, uh, dude, I don't know how, after watching that first half, I don't care what they did in the second. I don't know how you can watch that first half and not tell me that they don't have the best one in the country
2: fellas and I want to bring up something too because I owe an apology um and I think there was good reason to it but if you go back to episode 138 when we recorded Thursday evening, I mentioned and and this has been a true to life statement and Candace did it yet again, but I said this is the wrong team to go behind big early. I think even the exact quote was if Candace goes by goes down 15 points or more to Baylor, this is over with. Kansas completely flipped the script in the second half, Phil, but when you look at Kansas going down early in these games, uh, what does it tell you, A, about their ability and their resolve, their championship DNA to make a comeback and turn around, but also, why do you think they're getting off to such slow starts in these games?
0: You know, as far as the slow starts go, it's hard to say. Um, Because, you know, they have guys that are good shooters. It seems like sometimes it takes them a while to get into a rhythm. Um, You know, Grady Dick, I think, started out this game like 0 for 6 from 3, ends up finishing 2 for 9. But I do think that you mentioned it, the championship DNA is what helps them come back in these games. I mean, the advantage that they have with having a ton of veterans on this squad versus having to work in, you know, a lot of younger guys, it's definitely helpful. Um, I want to give KJ Adams some props though. you know, we'll talk about Jalen Wilson, Grady Dick, Dewan Harris, all those guys, KJ Adams, 17 points in this game, five for six, but in the second half alone goes three for three, eight points, three boards really stepped up in that second half to give them a presence down low, which is what they, I mean, when Kansas has the inside out working, they're arguably the best team in the country. And it, it pains me to say that as Peyton knows, but when they have a presence in the front court, they're, they're really tough to stop.
3: Not only that, it's not even just a call Like, uh, you mentioned Katie Adams. He was incredible. Not only did he have uh, those buckets in the second half and he had three rebounds, but he also had three assists, too. So not only was he getting some buckets and getting uh, cleaning up the glass, we was also dishing out some assists, which is very important for him. Uh, I thought he played very well in the second half. Overall, I just thought uh, my energy in the second half was a lot better. Um, defensively, we were attacking the the three guards, Counter George, Cryer, and Flagler. We picked him up at half court. We started to trap him. Um, hedge out hard, and they just were uncomfortable, we completely shut them out in the second half. I mean, Keontae George had five points, Cryer uh, had two, and, and Flagler had eight points all in the second half. We completely shut them out. But the think the same for me, though, is you mentioned our front court play. I think the biggest difference in this game was not only did our rebounding get better, our defense got better, but it allowed us to get in transition. And I think that's what's really important for us, is if can we get some buckets in transition, and I think we did an excellent job, Josh, of getting, getting out this transition. Yeah, in the same. second
2: half, you
3: absolutely cranked
2: the pressure up, started extending your defense, and the Baylor use in the backcourt with a guy like Keontae George started to show its head. And Kansas goes down, we mentioned down 17 at one point, ends up winning this game by 16. So from 330 left to go in the first half to the end of the game, they were plus 33 on Baylor, which is in. Incredible, incredible. Like if you go in Kenpon, obviously the college games played in two halves, but uh, Kenpon breaks us down into quarters. Quarter three of this game, Kansas outscored Baylor 34 to nine, 34 to nine against a team that we've been raving about for a month now in Baylor. Like, Kansas showed a lot yesterday that they are to be taken as a real deal threat to go back-to-back back for a national title. I'm still concerned about the slow starts, still concerned about a potential matchup against the wrong team that has a, a true dominant post-presence, or post, post presence, if I could spit it out. But, man, Kansas showed a lot in this game. And if Baylor, I think if you're Baylor, you just uh, go back, look at the tape, see what you did wrong, and correct it. And th- we mentioned it with Kansas, Kansas State that we hope to see a third game in the Big 12 tournament, I pray that we get to see a Kansas-Baylor third matchup in uh, Kansas City here in the next month. Like I desperately want to see these two teams play again.
3: I do too. I'd definitely love to see uh, the trilogy happen in Kansas City. That'd be nice to see. And you mentioned Kansas. I mean, the second half, we held Baylor to 26 points. They had 45 going the first half. They had 26 in the second half. Scored a total of 71. I mean, that's huge. That game alone, going into this game, Baylor was the number one ranked offense in the country, that game alone set them to number two, according to Ken Palm, and we held them to 26 points in the second half. That is huge for us. Defense has definitely stepped up in the second half, and we had some shots, and Jalen Wilson is the dog. Dude, this kid is so good. First, Those last two minutes of the first half were very important for him because that's when he – before the like 18 minutes of that first half, he only had two points. The final two minutes, he ended up having like six straight points, and then he started getting going the second half, started to post him up more and getting his ass to the rim. He stopped selling for jump shots, and that's when he got going. Grady Dick was tremendous in this game. And DeWan Harris, this dude in the first half, DeWan Harris, had zero points. One shot attempt, three assists. He had two fouls. Second half, he completely takes over. 14 points, 6-7 from the field, 2-2 two two from the three-point line, one rebound, six dimes, had one turnover. Defensively, he was great. Offensively, he was even better. And we are now 20-0 and when this dude scores 10-plus points in the game. This kid's phenomenal, and he's one of my favorite Jayhawks of all time. Phil, I want to ask you as we round the Kansas Baylor action up, I do want to ask after
2: seeing what we've saw for Kansas yesterday afternoon, and they've been on this little wind streak, I still think Alabama is the best team from top to bottom in the country. Their best, I think is still better than everybody else's best, but what we're starting to see out of Kansas with the backcourt players, with other guys, stepping up and helping Jalen Wilson. If we agree, Alabama is still the best with their best. Where would you slot Kansas now as we roll towards March? Would they go to two over Houston and Purdue? Where would you have them right now on your big board heading into the March Madness?
0: I don't know that if I put them over Houston yet. I think they're in that same tier as Houston. Um, I agree with you. I think Alabama is the best team in the country right now. I think as I mentioned, Kansas, when they have the front court working, is arguably in that same position. But I do think a team like Houston could give Kansas some problems with, you know, a really good backcourt and then uh, a big athletic player like Drace Walker. So I would probably have Kansas three right now in my favorites for the national title
3: contention. Peyton? I think they're two. Um, if we're talking about teams I trust, there's not many teams in the country that I trust more in tournament play to get, at least get to a final four in Kansas. I don't really care too much about the mismatches because not too many teams this year. There's only been like really Tennessee and TCU that's actually exploited Kansas in these mismatches, but I think Kansas is playing well right now. Our front court's developing. Our bench play has developed some. Jordan Yesfield and Bobby Pettiford both came into this game and played solid minutes, played well. Our defense is getting better, and listen, when you got build stuff in the sidelines I don't give a shit what kind of team we have I always trust that he's gonna be able to get it done and the thing is about Houston the best one of the season probably the best one uh or one of the best ones of the season was uh, the game at Virginia where they beat Virginia they haven't really played anybody since then Kansas has played a game a great game almost every single day in the Big 12 and I think that's the difference maker. Well, I I think I am somewhere in the middle of both of you.
2: Um, I I still, again, I think Alabama is number one. When they're playing at their best, they are unbeatable. But I do think right, and almost a coin flip, I think Houston, Kansas, right after that, you go either way and I wouldn't argue with you. But let's move on. Kentucky, I swore them off last week after the Georgia loss. I said, we're not going to talk about a team that don't deserve to be talked about. All they did is this last week, they picked up monster quad one wins to go from one to four now because Texas A&M on today's net ranking crawled inside the top 30. I think they're 29th, which gives them another quad one victory. But Kentucky goes on the road, beats a really tough Mississippi State team. And then yesterday, you're honoring the 96, 97, and 98 national title and national runner-up teams, and they dominate Tennessee. Never trailed in this ballgame, go up 3-0 and never looked back. Kentucky now, surprisingly, has the 18th best offense in the nation, according to Ken Pom. before I got to talk about this game, because it was a special domination that you're talking about Kentucky up 20 at half on Tennessee, 39, 19. I want to hear your guys' thoughts on this. Um, just the complete total ass whooping of a top 10 ball club.
3: Yeah, um, I'll tell you what though, Josh. I don't wonder. I'm. I know it's not. It's not for a while though. It's not for like three months, three four months, not so June. But I wonder what Oscar Shoeboys is gonna get Plasovich for uh, Father's Day. <laughs> <laughs> no, don't tell the story. <laughs> <laughs> um Go i don't him. have it i don't have it on me but basically just in general i guess oscar uh, i guess Posvic i forgot to say his name i'm just gonna call it Plosfic. he uh, was Plosfic. talking sh- yeah yours Plosfic. he was talking shit to oscar pretty much the whole game and at one point he told oscar like i'm your daddy i'm your daddy and he just kept on saying that so he i said just thought he was I'm
2: cussing just, him too yeah, he, I, so yeah i saw i'm good.
3: just cu- i'm just curious on what oscar's gonna get him for father's day i know it's not till june but Phil, i'm just curious the-
2: Phil, on top of that, it's you got to think of how Oscar and I'm not making fun of his speak, not, but it's just Oscar's so qu- quiet demeanor. And at the post game, they were asking about it, and he said every time he's played Euros, Euros talks shit to him. He's like, "I'm your daddy, bitch. I'm gonna fuck your dad, or I'm gonna fuck <laughs> your mom, and all sorts of stuff like that." And Oscar's like, "What is this guy talking about?" <laughs> I, oh, it's it so is funny. kind. It is
0: kind of funny to think of somebody just saying like horrendous things to Oscar, who is I pretty know. like mild mannered. And even though he's like this big monster of a man, he's kind of like a gentle giant. <laughs>
3: do, you know, do, you, do you know who he shouldn't talk shit to? Or someone he sh- he shouldn't pick a fight with? DJ Wagner.
2: Oh yeah, yeah. Don't mess with DJ, bud. But go Don't mess with DJ, your th- dog. Go, your thoughts on this game, though. because honestly, like I said, Kentucky never trailed. They got the lead. It wasn't always the prettiest game because Tennessee won't allow you to play pretty, but just an ass-whooping from start to finish. Yeah. I mean, um, go ahead, Phil. I
0: was, This is kind of just the game I expected. You know, when we talked about it the other day, I just felt like Kentucky was going to be the more desperate of the two teams. And then this is the Tennessee team that I'm always afraid to see. You know, they didn't play bad defensively. They hold Kentucky to 66 points, um, 44% shooting but they can't find a consistent bucket outside of Escovey. I mean, outside of him, I know Meshack had 16 in this game, but other than that, they got nothing scoring-wise. Like Ziegler goes 2 for 10, 2 for 9 from 3. That's my constant concern with Tennessee and like Peyton mentioned, why I think they're very vulnerable once we get to the tournament because they're going, you know, they're going to have a game before the Sweet 16 where they just can't score.
2: One hundred uh, percent. Ziggler too. Four fouls in this game. He picked up his fourth like early in the second half. I'm thinking it was like thirteen minutes left to go, and he was bothered. He's only five nine. We we all appreciate the dog in him, but he has trouble with big guards. And Kason Wallace got anything he wanted against him. Just bullied him on the court. And you're talking about an ugly game at times. Forty four foul calls. Forty nine free throw attempts. Peyton.
3: Jesus Christ. I mean, just it, that's the way Tennessee is going to play, though. They want to get to the free throw line and share. Just that's ridiculous. I tell you what, you talk about ugly. I don't know which one's more ugly, this one or this one. I don't know if you can see my skin. Or not. I got like a little Tennessee pillow and a Kentucky little pillow here. By the way, none of these are mine, so don't even try that shit with me. None of these are mine. The Tennessee <laughs> wants my knees because somehow, some way, I don't know how the hell this happens. Somehow she wants to be a Tennessee fan. I don't know. I question her decisions, but oh well. Um, but a little thing here. I mean, one of these teams has eight national championships. The other has zero. So, but, you know, I got a lighter here. I could light this bitch on fire, but you know what? My niece would kick my ass. I'm going to do that. But, yeah, I mean, Phil talked about it. He said that uh this is the type of game that he expected. I'll tell you what, this is the opposite of what I expected. I did not expect Kentucky to put 39 points on the nation's number one defense in the country. And not trail the whole game. Did not expect that at all. I thought Tennessee's physicality would get to them, and I thought Tennessee would uh, even the series. I was hella wrong on this. Congrats on Kentucky. You swept Tennessee. And, man, I wonder when's the last time that's happened in a while. Because this happened. Normally you guys split. And of all, I've seen a comment uh, from a Kentucky
2: uh, poster. Like, of all the teams to sweep Kentucky or to sweep Tennessee, this is the team to do it, which is the irony in this year's college basketball. Santiago Vescovy was held scoreless in the first half. He comes out on fire basically trying to single-handedly lead a charge back for the Vols when they cut the lead down to seven or eight at one point. He had 17 in the second half. He was just getting anything he wanted. Jemai Meshack, he's getting better each game. He had 16 for the Vols, but Tennessee at the foul line, they go 4-14 from the charity stripe for 28.6%. That's not going to get it done at all anywhere, no matter who you play. The Cats... Did shoot 35 of them, 23 of 35. They were really good at one point. Actually, I was talking to my dad while we were watching this game. and At one point, Kentucky was like 21 of 25 and then just started missing down the stretch due to tired legs. This is one of them physical games. Tennessee, we've mentioned it, will not let you play a pretty game. We talked about Northwestern on Thursday. They implement the idea or the ideology of we're going to foul everything. And make the officials call whatever they call. Because they're not going to call everything. And Tennessee just fouls and fouls and fouls. That's why Kentucky just went to the rim. They only shot eight threes in this game. Three of eight from the three-point line. Kaysom – or, sorry, Chris Livingston, one of one. Jacob Toppin, one of one. Antonio Reeves, one of three. Only shot eight of them because they put their head down, got to the rim. Walk away with a 66-54 victory. I said it on Thursday. The first team to 65 wins this. That's held true. Yeah. Kind of kind of wrapping this up, though, I want to ask both of you. Um, Kentucky, you know, Joe Lenardi in his morning update, Kentucky's no longer on the bubble. And I'm hearing anywhere between an 8 and 10 seed. As long as the Cats don't falter down the stretch with a bad loss, they've got at Florida next without Colin Castleton. They've got Vandy coming up. They've got Auburn at home. They got at Arkansas. As long as Kentucky gets in. If they're between an eight and ten, I still think that they're with the way they're trying to start to play. I think they're a dangerous matchup. So now, after the the monster wins this week, how do you view Kentucky after this week of game? Eighteen and nine, nine and five, third place in the SEC.
3: Well, I think we mentioned it after the first time Kentucky beat Tennessee up at Thompson Bowling Arena. I was like, I still think Kentucky can potentially get to the Final Four. It all depends on what region they're in and who they play and matchup-wise. But I think Kentucky has the talent, has the roster to get to the Final Four. I've been loving what Casey Wallen's Cason Wallace has been doing all season. I thought he was excellent in this Tennessee game. And you mentioned you didn't really shoot too many threes. You shot only eight, uh, but you hit majority of them. You shot 38% from three-point line. I think that might be a common theme throughout the rest of the season. You don't need to shoot over 20 threes plus. Let teams like Alabama, who's like really good at doing it, let them do that shit. I think you need to be more in that like Indiana-type range where you're shooting about maybe 15 a game, but you're shooting a high clip of a uh, high percentage of those threes. And I think that's the uh, key for Kentucky moving forward. I still think they can, depending on the, matchups, the people. In what legion they are, I think they can potentially get to a fine floor.
0: I think Kentucky is very much this season starting to look kind of like UNC last season where they have that midseason swoon, they're on the bubble, then they get hot at the end of the year, and they may end up as that 8 or 9 seed, but I guarantee you they're the 8 or 9 seed that not a single 1 seed wants to run into in the second round. I mean,
3: Absolutely right. even
0: against a 1 seed, they're going to be the most talented team on the floor 9 times out of 10. So, I mean, you got to give them that advantage. So I, I definitely think they're capable of going on a run. It's just all about, you know, how the shooting, like Peyton mentioned, how the matchups fall into place. I mean, I could see them losing in the first round. I could see them going to the final four.
3: And And I want to before before we move on. I want actually I want to ask Phil a question here because he keeps up with like draft status and all this like mock drafts and all this other stuff. Um, I don't keep up too much with that, and I haven't seen any mock drafts. Guy like Casein Wallace, he had sixteen points, six assists, six uh, rebounds in this game. Three turnovers. How high do you think he'll be able to get picked this year? Because obviously he's leaving after this season. Yeah, he's definitely gone
0: after this year. I mean, I think his ceiling right now is probably like seven to nine range. Um, I see him on most people's big boards in the lottery, uh, anywhere between like 10 and 15. I think he could climb. It's just there's once you get into that top like six or seven dudes, you know, you got Wemben Yama, Henderson, Brandon Miller, Cam Whitmore, Keontae George. I don't think he's going to be able to jump any of those guys but I think he can get to right, you know, the edge of where they're at.
2: And I'll ask you one more before we move on. Um, a guy that's really elevated his game the last couple weeks and you just watch it in the physicality, by the way, Kentucky's playing better because they've all collectively as a team said, we are going to play in rock fights and we're going to be the more physical team. You watch them get on the backboards, but a guy like Chris Livingston, I'm so happy for him. 12 points in this game. Timely offensive rebounds, big time stops, hits the three. You know, I said one of one from the three point line. He is really turning it on. Phil, what is his NBA projections looking like? Because you're talking about a dude that's like six, seven, that can hit the three, athletic as all hell, and now he's starting to show some toughness. What's a Chris Livingston's draft status look like right now?
0: I mean, I'll be honest, I haven't really seen him on many people's radar for the 2023 draft. I think it's kind of assumed that he's coming back. Um, But you mentioned also that he's been coming on pretty strong here lately, so that could very quickly change. I mean, draft stock is one of those things where you can go from being an undrafted guy to a late first round pick in literally a couple weeks of good games. So if he continues this trajectory, it wouldn't shock me to see him put his name into the mix. And then, you know, he's a super athletic guy, has an NBA body. So I think he could get into some workouts and definitely work his way into the first round. But as of right now, I think he's probably looking at coming back next year.
2: Oh, boy, that would be there's two guys on this roster that would benefit the most coming back next year. three, actually, you're talking about a Chris Livingston and Antonio Reeves. And a Damien Collins to pair up with all that athleticism and scoring talent next year. Chris Livingston would have a field day in that lineup next year. But I will say, and I mentioned Peyton off air this for the first time all year felt like old Kentucky basketball, big time environment, a a big time rival CBS game needing to win. The Rupp arena was electric. You honored your past. You dominate a game. That felt like Kentucky basketball, so let's hope that continues moving forward as we are making our march towards March. Let's move on to Indiana, though, Phil. This ended up being a lot better game, and I think some of us had projected Um, Indiana coming off the loss to Northwestern in controversial fashion. Coming back home to the friendly confines of Assembly Hall gets a 71-68 victory over Illinois. Back and forth affair, Matthew Mayer, especially in that first half, half was unbelievable for Illinois. I think he had 15 in that first half for the Illini. They went back and forth that entire game. Ends up, Illinois gets fouled, Jalen hood Shafino, I think it was a clean block, but it gets fouled, goes to the line for a pair of free throws to tie it up. One, hits one, misses one then comes down and has a chance to tie the game, got a much cleaner look than I think anybody expected and just rimmed it. When I, I honestly, when he left his hands, I thought it was good, but Indiana holds on for a 71, 68 win. Uh, Phil, no TJ Shannon in this game, kind of your initial reactions from uh from a really good contest.
0: Well, you mentioned it. I, this game was a little closer than I expected it to be. I picked Indiana to kind of handle Illinois pretty easily in this one, but You mentioned the late game sequence. You have to make your free throws. You've got to make your free throws. You tie that game and it's completely different, but then also just not quite sure why RJ Melendez is the one taking the last shot for Illinois in in this game. You know, he hasn't been playing well all year, but Oh, for six in this game, Oh, for two from three, just not the guy I think that you want taking that shot. Um, And I've been super disappointed with RJ Melendez. You guys know, I talked about him coming into the year. I thought he was the breakout star for this team. I thought he was like going to lead them in scoring potential dark horse for Big Ten player of the year. And he has been like a non-factor. So I just don't know. This Illinois team is so Jekyll and Hyde. Um, You know, when they're at their best, I think they can beat anybody. But there's just no level of consistency at all. And it's as as a fan of this team, it's just it's hard to really get invested because you don't know what you're getting every game. Like they show up in this game and play great after losing by 15 to Penn State. It just it's it's horrendous. It's ridiculous.
2: And they had with 12:41 left to go in the game. They had a nine point lead. They're up 48:39 and allowed Indiana to crawl back in. Another dominant performance from Trace Jackson Davis. Payton, 26 points, 12 rebounds. Two assists. He did five turnovers, but he did five blocks and three steals. That dude just does everything. He played thirty-seven minutes. Hey, he he cut back on the minutes a little bit. Um, just Trace has been otherworldly since we flipped the calendar to January
3: hundred percent. I mean, is it possible? I don't know if this has ever happened before. Maybe it has. I don't know. I'm only 23 years old, so I don't have any clue. But has the national play, because Zach Eadie's most likely, I don't see a way where he doesn't win national play of the year. Is it possible that he doesn't win big 12 play of the year? Because I swear, I think TJD deserves at least a mention in there because he's been so damn good And once Big Ten play started. You know what?
2: I, I, I think there's been examples of where a guy has won – um, like the National Player of the Year, but not their conference or a different award. I would almost be in favor of if Zach Edie's going to win the Wooden Award. I'd almost be in favor of TJD winning the Big Ten Player of the Year award, or at least a share, like a split Big Ten award. Yeah, Phil, you were going to say something. Yeah,
0: I was just going to say I'm. I don't know the precedent for it off the top of my head. I would definitely have to do some research, but. I mean, it would make sense because for national player of the year, obviously you have national media, whereas for the Big Ten player of the year, it's going to be much more Big Ten based, Midwestern based media. And Trace Jackson Davis has had a better season in Big Ten play than Zach Eady has. So I, I would have zero issue giving TJD the Big Ten player of the year while Edie still got the national player of the year.
3: Yeah, um, I agree. I think TJD has been amazing, uh, especially once Big Ten plays started. And the biggest thing about him, well, I think, is a little bit different if you're comparing TJD to Zach Eady. And this is not a fault to Zach Eady at all. But I think TJD, uh, he makes the players around him better. And I don't think Zach Eady really does that for his team. I think Zach Eady just being on the floor, it gives guys like Fletcher Royal a chance to like hit shots and stuff. But TJD, like, I mean, he only had two assists in this game. But if you think about it, and I had mentioned this to Josh, I had a stat for him before the show started. Um, I don't know. I think it was his last year. It was the last time the uh, Indiana won the Big Ten, I forgot what year he that was. When Yogi Ferrell was there, Uh he has the TJD's assist rate is the same as Yogi Ferrell's was in his last year at Indiana. And Yogi Ferrell is a point guard, and TJD is a power forward. I think uh, TJD's passing game is very underrated. He only had two assists this game, but still, well, how I many? How Go many ahead. times do we – How many? I was going to say, how many times do we see him bringing the ball up the floor off of a
2: defensive rebound or getting people into action or, or using – having one of his teammates back cut and hit on back door or kicking out of a double team for a wide-open Miller Cop 3? Like, his ability to pass the ball is amongst the best in the country despite whether he's a big or a guard.
0: Well, and then the other thing I think TJD has an advantage over Edie is defensively. I mean, TJD yes. isn't – A great defensive big by any means, but he's certainly a better rim protector and shot blocker than Edie is. I mean, he's he's among probably the top 15 shot blockers in the country.
3: The biggest thing here is, and we dude, we've talked I feel like we've talked about it a lot over the past couple of weeks, but it just keeps coming true. Dude, Jalen Hochefino had five turnovers in this game. He's had in three games, he's had 15 turnovers, and that's your starting point guard. If Indiana wants to make a run to get to second weekend, especially get to a final four this year, then they really need Xavier Johnson to come back as soon as possible because Jalen Hochafino, he's like he's so turnover prone, and I don't really understand it. He should be smarter than this. Um five turnovers. He had five against uh Northwestern. or he had six against North, four against North, Northwestern and six against Michigan. 15 turnovers in the last three games, and that's your starting point guard. I think that's a big issue. No, I'm okay, with you. I'm right? glad you
0: brought that up because I I think that I, I don't want to compare them necessarily as players, but he's like Caleb Love in a way, where you don't mind having him on the floor as a guy looking for his own shot, but he's not the guy that you want running the offense and having to create for everybody else, which I think is where when Xavier Johnson comes back, it allows Hood Shafino to just be the, get the fuck out of the way and let me get a
2: bucket guy.
3: Yeah, I agree.
2: No, you're completely right. And that's why we've been saying for Indiana to hit their ceiling in the tournament, they need Xavier Johnson back, but a good win for IU keeps them on pace to in the big 10. Got that monster matchup coming up Saturday that we'll talk about in the midweek show, but good win for IU. And by the way, Coleman Hawkins, he wasn't great in this game. Six points, seven rebounds, wasn't terrible either, but he had a big time poster dunk on Trace Jackson Davis and accelerated oh it and God. got a technical. It, that's a bullshit tech. Like, let the dude celebrate. And even TJD on Twitter said, Hey, man, it's all fair. I appreciate the heart and hustle. Keep doing your thing. Get over this. Like, a dude celebrates and you're going to team up. That's absolutely ridiculous absolute like insanity but whatever let's move on to a team that we're here to celebrate or not celebrate that's not fair to here to talk about their funeral that's a better way to put it this is a team that has now lost five of their last six games they lost this afternoon against rival north carolina state 77 69 and that's what we're talking about the north carolina Tar Heels last year's darlings of the NCAA tournament, gets all the way to the national title game and comes within a possession of winning it. They're 16-11 on the year, fall to 43 in Ken Phil. This is in your backyard. We know how good NC State is, but at this point, with four games left to go in the regular season, and you've still got a matchup against Virginia and Duke, maybe 13 losses going into the ACC Conference Tournament, I just don't see a path to an automatic bid or a bubble bid or any of the bids for North Carolina from here on out.
0: Yeah, I think the the only path they have is like going four and zero in their final four regular season games, and then probably at least making a semifinal run in the ACC tournament. But outside of that, I really don't see a possibility. Um, I do want to clear one thing up, though. You said that we weren't celebrating the funeral. I am absolutely celebrating the funeral. Hey,
3: listen. I got all that
0: going. 100%.
2: Hey, I'm trying to be be unbiased media. (laughs) I don't give a damn about that.
0: Yeah. I'll I'll take the uh, biased card here. Fuck UNC. Um, And I (laughs) do... We had this discussion before the season and all of us, I think, had these had this skepticism that this was a possibility for them. I mean, we all three voted for him number one in our preseason poll. But I remember having the conversation of like, can this team have the same type of regular season that they had last year? And we're seeing an even worse one. Um, But I want to give a lot of credit to NC State, too. I mean, NC State has been known to lose this type of game many a time, a game they're supposed to win, a game they really needed to win. I mean, this game could have knocked nc state off of their tournament path as well so a lot of credit to them for getting a w that they needed
3: yeah i mean we we've 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 met you mentioned celebration and stuff it's definitely a celebration because i agree with you listen i think we're all black for nothing all right it's their damn funeral they deserve it it's not just north carolina program it's just their annoying ass fans um but talking about this game listen to sum up north carolina season i got three letters for you Nit because they ain't making the damn tournament. They're zero and nine in quad one uh, for quad one uh, wins this year. But zero and nine have not won a single game against a quad one team. Uh, they got two quad one opportunities left. They go at, they go they play Virginia uh, February twenty fifth uh, actually this Saturday, and then they get the final game of the season March fourth in Chapel Hill against Duke. And I think they're gonna lose both of those games. Right, they got Notre Dame and Florida State in there. I don't give a shit about that. The only chances they have. If they don't, especially if they don't beat Virginia and they don't beat Duke, they got to win the ACC tournament, and I don't think they're going to do that this year either. Um, yeah, the NIT bound. No shot in hell. I don't see them making the tournament this year. Yeah, I don't. Just the way that they're, they've are they been playing. I mean, Armando Baycott, 16 points
2: in this game, 14 rebounds. That dude, I feel so bad for him. He came back to chase the title, and unfortunately he's stuck with a collection of guys around him that don't seem to be wanting to do the same. He's doing everything he possibly can, playing through injuries. Caleb Love at 23 in this game. He was actually fairly efficient: four of eight from three-point line, three of nine makes him seven of sixteen or seven of 17 from the field, which isn't terrible. But it's just like they get no help from nobody else. Like if anybody's going to be shooting the most amount of shots on your team, it's got to be Armando Baycott. Force feed him. Force feed him. RJ Davis played 40 minutes in this game, seven points four rebounds, two assists, one turnover, four fouls. Like not good. Not good. They are not getting help. Uh, when they get one or two of their guys playing well, they get help from absolutely nobody else. But I want to focus right now on NC State. 21 and 7, 11 and 6 in the ACC conference. Jarkel Joiner goes off in this game. 29 points was absolutely getting to the rim anytime he wanted to. Turk Smith, twelve points. DJ Burns dominate, not dominated, but he had a really good game inside, with eighteen points in this game. Didn't do a whole lot of rebounding, but NC State, Phil. You tried to tell us last year that, hey man, this team, if Turk Smith can get some help, this team's got something. They're playing for their coaches, uh, not career, but they're playing for his uh, coaching life at NC State, and they're showing up. This is a surefire NCAA tournament team. Probably end up around a seven or eight seed. North Carolina State, we mentioned it off air. They're the type of team that they're either going to lose in the first round in an upset or they're going to make a run to like the Elite Eight. I don't think there's any in between, but they are electric with this backcourt right now.
0: Absolutely. I mean, if they had Jarkel last year with – Turk Smith and Darion Sebron. I think they're probably a tournament team last year, even with absolutely no front court depth, no DJ Burns, Manny Bates out. Jarquel Joyner has been that much of a difference maker for them. Then you have Casey Marcel stepping up who they expected to be a huge difference maker last year coming in from Virginia, kind of struggled adjusting to the offense a little bit, but this year has been one of the absolute best three point shooters in the country. Um, just gives them, you know, three options at the guard position. You mentioned DJ Burns, Um, uh, I think this team is very capable of going on like a sweet 16 elite eight run. It's, it's all going to be on Turk Smith's back though. They're going to need some big scoring performances from him. I think he's the guy that really has to take over for them come tournament time, but it helps so much that he doesn't have to take on all of the ball handling. Now that they have Jarkel.
3: If NC state uh, is, you, an I know seed. you were talking about le- if NC State's an eight seed and Purdue is the one seed, I'm promise you I'm picking NC State to beat Purdue in that second round. I think NC State matches up very well against Purdue. I think their backhoe will overwhelm Purdue's backhoe. And I think DJ Burns would do what he can to try to match up with Edie. But I'm just saying if that's if that's the if that's the matchup, potential second round, I'm most likely picking NC State in that one. I think NC State, their guard play joining Marcel and Smith. That's a top five backhoe in the country, I think. And uh well, I, 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 it's I it's NC
2: State it. team. I'm with you there because I think, I don't know if they'll beat them, but I think that they're the type of team that gives Purdue, you know, problems. Edie will get his, but that'd be a fun theoretical matchup. Phil, a couple last things on this North Carolina and North Carolina State game. Um, Do you think right now that with the season they've had, this is enough to save Kevin Keats' job?
0: Oh, absolutely. I think a tournament appearance would have saved his job regardless. And then, uh, you know, today they have Paul McNeil Jr., one of the top 30 recruits in uh, the class of 2024, who took his official visit today and then ultimately ends up committing after the victory. So that's huge for them. He's a six six wing who can score. He's actually a uh, AAU teammate of our friend Ruckies Passmore. So uh, shout out there to Garner Road AAU. But uh, Paul McNeil is a big time scorer, kid who should be able to defend and uh, really give them some versatility. So I think uh, getting that commitment also helps.
3: And, yeah, big time, he's a four-star kid. Um, hats off to them because they're definitely getting a baller next year. Uh, ended off with North Carolina, uh, I just I do want to give some love to North Carolina because if they do miss out on the tournament, like we probably all expected them to do, they will make history. They will be, since the tournament expanded, they will be the first preseason number one team in the country to not make the NCAA tournament. So, hats off to them when they don't make it this year. Well, I know. La- rounding this out, I know
2: we we're having a little bit of fun at the North Carolina expense and their fans and all the other stuff, but, but last note for, for real. And, and I, we've kind of talked about it. There's still talent on this team. If they could figure it out. If do you, could you see a world where North Carolina still gets in the NCAA tournament, even with 12 or 13 losses?
0: Uh I don't know. The bubble's just so packed this year. I, I really think, like I said, I think that they have to finish the season with like 11 losses. Is that what's their record right now?
3: Uh, I at 11 right now.
0: Yeah, I think, I think, like I mentioned earlier, they got to run the table. And then I guess they could get to 12 with a loss in the uh, ACC tournament, but they would have to get to the semifinal or the final for sure.
2: I still think when you're North Carolina and you have that name across your chest and the bubble's pretty weak right now, let's be honest. I mean, it is every year, but it's really weak this year. If Carolina can at least go three and three or four down the stretch with one of their losses being to Virginia or Duke and beating the other. If they beat, let's say, I don't know, let's say they beat uh, Notre Dame, Florida State, lose to Virginia, beat Duke. That's 19 and 12 going into the ACC tournament. If they can get to 20 wins, I, I still think that they're in the tournament. They'll be in date, but I think they're in the tournament if they can get to that magic 20-win mark.
3: Maybe, but even man, I, I, I know it sounds a... crazy without the quad ones and all that, but. Yeah, I think that's a sh- little bit of a stretch. I don't really see a way. I don't think they're going to beat Virginia, and I don't think they're going to beat Duke and Chapel Hill. I think if they really want to get into the tournament, they're going to have to sweep them to get a couple of wins, and they have to do some damage in the ACC tournament. But the thing is, is, like the reason why I'm not high on them potentially making a tournament is because I think Josh you mentioned it like a two weeks ago when he was talking about this subject. It's like The ACC, according to Ken Poms, is the seventh best country, or seventh best uh, conference in the country. It's not the ACC of the norm uh, that we've been used to. So the ACC conference once again it's having a down year and i think that's going to hurt them as well which makes it honestly even worse for a team like north carolina that it's so down and
2: you, you're struggling to get wins but let's move on real quick uh go back to the big 12 kansas state extracts some revenge on iowa state beats them in the of doom 61 55 good game yet again no kale grill for iowa state uh, Iowa State actually jumped them early, got out to a 29-19 lead, but Ultimate Kansas State settled down and got the lead and ended up holding on for a victory. Marquise Noel went off in the second half, third or 20 points, Keontae Johnson 15, nobody else in double figures, but all around good game for K-State. Uh, Iowa State was led by, I don't even know how to say his name, Al Javs Kunk, Kunt, I, I apologize, I butchered that name, but Peyton, Big 12's kind of in your territory. Thoughts on K State here getting a, a big time win and pulling even on the conference rates with Iowa State, both eight and six right now.
3: Dude, Iowa State shot 18.5% from the three-point line. They put up 27 jacks from the three-point line, 5 of 27, and they still win the running. They very well. They only lost this game by six, but they definitely could have won this game. Iowa State, I mean, they just can't win it. They really can't win on the road. They're great at home. They look really good when they play in their home building. But once they take their show on the road, it just doesn't uh, correlate at all. Kansas State, dude, Monkeys Noel is fun to He's a fun-ass player to watch. Twenty. You mentioned it, 20 points, 5 assists, 6 rebounds. He's so fun to watch. He. Took over in that second half and hit some big-time shots. Hats off to Kansas State. They really needed a win like this. They've been struggling here lately and got a big win over a top 25 team in Iowa State. Hey, Phil, I'm going to ask you real quick. Um, Iowa State and Tennessee is a
2: lot alike. Both really, really dominant defensive teams. I mean, Iowa State still only held K-State to 61 points, as Peyton mentioned. Of those two teams, being so defensive-minded but have very, very tough times scoring the basketball consistently, Who do you trust more in the NCAA tournament, Tennessee or Iowa State, to go further?
0: That's tough. I would say Tennessee, just because I think Tennessee's defense is one notch above Iowa State's. And then I trust Tennessee's scoring a little bit more, because at least they have, you know, Viscovi, who they can lean on. I know Iowa State has Caleb Grill and a couple other guys, but Grill's been banged up a little bit. Um, I would have to go Tennessee,
2: your thoughts on this game, if you have any.
0: Um, I mean, it's just the meat grinder of the Big 12. I'll be honest, I didn't get to catch this one, but not super surprised either way to, you know, if they're missing Caleb Grill, like I just mentioned, Iowa State's going to struggle offensively. So, yeah, not super surprised that they dropped this one.
2: Lynn, let's round out the reviews from yesterday. Peyton, it's a feel-good moment. They had the 2013 National Title Champions back in the house, the majority of them. They were partying like it was 2013, the first sellout at the Yum Center, I think, all year. And Louisville, you talk about funerals, Louisville just sent Clemson six feet under with this one. Knocked them, in my opinion, completely off the bubble because you can't lose this one. Louisville gets their fourth win of the year, eighty-three seventy-three, and a day they honored the former champs, Peyton Siva and company back. The Young Center had a little happiness, didn't they?
3: Oh, yeah. I mean, the, the, the total amount of capacity for the Youngster is like 22,000. We end up having like 15,000 there, there for this game. For a three win team, 15,000 to watch our team play. That's incredible. Uh, it's nice to have the majority of the 2013 players back to see Montres, Hale, uh, Peyton Smith's been oh, not Peyton Smith, Peyton Siever's been going to games, uh, Russ Smith, uh, Van, uh, Van Chuzzle and shit. I mean, see all those guys down there. It's been cool. And uh, dude, L. Ellis is a dog. Um, he's been having some trouble the last two years; hasn't had the greatest years. But this year, I mean, dude, he had 28 points in this game. Mike James was big, 13 points. JJ Trainer, Louisville kid, dude. I hope this kid comes back next year because he is our difference maker. He is so damn fun to watch when he is attacking the rim because he has so much athleticism and he can stretch it out hit some shots. He had a career high of 16 points nine rebounds in this game. And all I got to say is about this, you mentioned Clemson. They're probably knocked off of the bubble. I don't know about that. They probably are, especially if you lose to a Louisville team this year, which is probably like a quad 10 loss for this year. Uh, they're probably finished. And uh, dude, Louisville, 92% for the three from the line. 26 to 28. That's huge for us. And all I got to say to some Louisville fans out there, to Clemson fans, to the Clemson players, LLS had a 360 dunk to end the game off. There's a bunch of people bitching about it. Even Louisville fans was complaining about it. Dude, kiss my ass. Blow the hell up because we've been through so much pain and agony watching this team. We do a 4-23. Let these kids have some fun. And we did It's not like we did it at Clemson. We did it in the Yum Center. Got the crowd hype. He's just having some fun. Blow the hell up, dude. Leave it alone. Phil, this is the classic case of where a
2: non-conference, weak non-conference schedule comes back to bite you. Because you look at Clemson; just a couple weeks ago, they were in first in the ACC, and everybody, us included, was talking about, "Wow, this is an incredible story." They've since, you know, they they've been losers of four of their last five. They they won on the midweek game, blew out Florida State, but they've lost four of their last five. They're now nineteen and eight. They are eleven and six in the conference but their non-conference is what's going to end up ultimately keeping them out of the NCAA tournament more than likely. Um, they, they lost to South Carolina. They lost to Iowa. They, their non-conference was not good. Their, their best non-conference game was Iowa or Penn State, depending on how you want to look at it. But according to Ken Palm, it is Iowa, and they lost that game. This is why, if you're a high major team, you need to schedule better opponents. Even if you take a loss early, at least your RPI and SOS will look a lot better. Cause I think Clemson's out of the tournament now.
0: Uh, I think they're for sure out of the tournament now. I mean, they don't really have any like super quality wins to hang their hat on. Like you mentioned, and then some pretty bad loss. I mean, the South Carolina loss is bad. The Loyola Chicago loss looks really bad now. Um, And then a Louisville loss is pretty much inexcusable at this point. So I don't see enough meat left on their schedule for them to really improve their status too much, unless they obviously were to go on a run and uh, take the ACC's uh, tournament bid.
2: Yeah. I I just don't see how Clemson is in the tournament unless like you mentioned, they go on and, and steal a bid in the ACC and probably a lot. And even if they don't, Say they get to the final and lose, they're going to have to knock out Duke and Virginia and a couple, of, maybe even Pittsburgh. Pittsburgh's a quality win now, but I think they just played themselves out of the tournament, which is unfortunate. And then we'll have to see what happens to Brad Brown now, which three weeks ago, again, we were talking about this is one of those dudes like Kevin Keats, like Jeff Capel and others who had saved his job. But now they're in danger of missing out completely. Just can't lose these games, man. You got to schedule a lot better. Let that be a lesson to all the other high major teams out there trying to make the NCAA tournament. But before we move on to some of the mid, our early week games here this week, let's talk about real quick the team of the week and the mid major team of the week. Peyton, we'll start with the team of the week. This was your call, and I think it's a fair one. The way they've been playing, team of the week for this week was the Kansas Jayhawks.
3: Yeah, man, listen, I've been buying my time on this because I've been trying to do it for a couple weeks now, but Kansas would end up winning a big game and then lose the second one. But this actual week, they went 2-0, and they've had two impressive performances. February 14th on uh, Tuesday, on Valentine's Day, we went at Oklahoma State, beat them up 87-76. to 76. Oklahoma State has a top-10 ranked defense in the country, according to Ken Palm, and we went into their building and put up 87 points. Then what we do Saturday, we come down from being down mostly 17 points in the second half, come back and win that game against Baylor, a top-10 team, 87-71, to 71, Hold the, held the number-one-linked offense, according to Kempom, to 25 points in the second half. Incredible display, and I don't see how anyone else can compete with what Kansas has done this week. Phil, you got any thoughts on Kansas?
0: Yeah, I got no problem with Kansas being here. I mean, I had picked Baylor to take that win on Saturday, and I think Kansas coming back the way that they did – you know, got down as much as seventeen in the first half and end up winning the game by sixteen. That's as impressive as a win as anybody's had probably over the last month, let alone over this week. So totally good with Kansas being top uh, team of the week.
2: And then the mid, and then the mid-major team of the week—they're twenty-five and four. They are on the—they're the nation's second-longest active win streak with twelve in a row. We go to the Oral Roberts Golden Eagles. We got one of the most exciting players in the country, Max Avesmus. They continue to win. I know the conference ain't great and it's a one-bid league, but you can't fault them for playing who they got to play. And I promise you, you guys know this as well as I do because we've watched a lot of games. Oral Roberts is going to be an upset special for somebody. They're going to probably be like a 13 seed. But you got a one of the best scorers in the nation, Max Abemis. You've got the Arkansas transfer, Connor Vanover, who's seven foot five and shoots threes. You got a guy like Isaac or Isaac McBride. I'm telling you right now, depending on, let's say they're a 13, whoever their four seed is. We go back to that list of the top 16 that we revealed earlier in the show. If you are a four seed and you see Oral Roberts across from you in round one, that is a tough matchup. That is a tough matchup. They shoot 37.7% from three. I
3: mean, this is an unusual mid-major type team right here. Yeah, I mean, the top 20 in three point percentage, or the top 15 in two point percentage, and the top 25 in free throw percentage. And you mentioned one of the four seeds that we talked about was Xavier. Mm-hmm. If they play against, if, a, if that's the 13 4 matchup, I'm sorry, Xavier do not go the ball well at all. Their defense isn't the greatest, that's a especially great the, point. especially defending in three. If that's the matchup, and Oral Roberts has a great player and Max Amos who can take over the game anytime he wants to, I'm picking that upset, Oral Roberts all day, if that's the actual matchup. That's and same, the, the, and same thing same thing with Gonzaga. Gonzaga, don't fit. Actually, you know what? These whole four Cs outside of Purdue, Marquette can't defend, Gonzaga can't defend, Xavier can't defend. Three of those four Cs right there, besides Indiana, who can't defend, I think Oral Roberts matches up well against them. That's a great point, Phil. Like,
2: imagine Xavier against Oral Roberts with a guy like Vanover, and especially if Xavier doesn't have their full interior play back. Like, that's a tough matchup right there, theoretically. Or Gonzaga. Or Gonzaga.
0: For sure. Now, I will say I think both of those teams would give Oral Roberts pretty tough matchups on on their defense as well. I think both of those games would be shootouts. Absolutely. I would worry more about a team like Iowa State or even Tennessee against Oral Roberts, a team that teams that lean on their defense but struggle to score because Max Acemas is the kind of player who you can play great defense on and he'll still drop 25 in your face. Um, Connor Vanover is the kind of guy who you can't really defend. So I think even some of those teams that are better defensively but struggle offensively could be bad matchups.
2: And that's a great point too, like a Tennessee or Iowa State, because Vanover spent years playing for Arkansas in the tough SEC. It's not like he's not going to know how to play. I mean, I love this over Roberts team. I, I think by listening to you guys talk to, you like them too. And I, I swear, when the brackets come out, as long as they don't falter and get screwed up in their conference tournament. Or Roberts is an upset waiting to happen. Can't wait to watch it. But let's go on to some of the big games in the early week here of the, of the one of the final two remaining weeks of the regular season here. Let's start on big Monday. The number five ranked team in the ECB top 25 from this last week, the Kansas Jayhawks on the road at number 22 TCU. We didn't even mention TCU got Mike Miles back. They put up a hundo on Oklahoma state's top 10 ranked defense. We've talked about it. Mike Miles changes the complexion of TCU, and we've seen it instantly when he came back, putting 100 points up on Oklahoma State. It's on the road for the Jayhawks, Peyton.
3: Uh, What's your confidence level on this one? And give us a prediction. My confidence level in this game is pretty high. The way Kansas has been playing ever since we won that three-game skid, which in one of the one of the three-game skids that we went to Texas and oh not Texas TCU ended up going in our house and beating our ass. But the difference maker in that game is Mike Miles and them was hitting ridiculous shots. I mean, coming into that game, they were like a 28 percent from the three-point line. They ended up blitzing us for like. Forty percent, something they don't, they haven't done all season. I really don't think they're going to do it in this game. I don't think they're going to hit enough shots. Kansas, I think, will start the game um, better than they did against Baylor. Um, I think Kansas goes in here, splits the series, gets revenge, and Kansas gets the job done. I don't have, uh, but I'll say score wise, I'll say seventy-seven to seventy. Kansas wins. Phil.
0: Yeah, Uh, man, this is a tough one for me, because TCU has just been a completely different team with Mike Miles in the lineup versus when he's not in the lineup. But just I think this is where the cream starts to separate from the crop in the Big 12 and Kansas, you know, really needs every win they can get down the stretch to ensure that they get that regular season conference title. So I like Kansas in this one, 80 to 72.
2: Yeah, um, I was wrong about the Baylor clash. And um, I, as much as I love Mike Miles and Damian Ball at TCU, I think this is going to be close all the way through. You look at the conference uh, rankings for defense, TCU's second only behind Iowa State. So if they can hold Kansas down and then let their playmakers make plays, and TCU can absolutely win this and sweep Kansas on the year. But I think Kansas has figured something out and starting to play a lot better. And getting to that March mode right now where championship, we mentioned it, DNA comes out of them. I got Kansas winning a very close one by four points in this ball game. But I think it's going to be entertaining. Um, and you mentioned, Peyton, that last matchup, Mike Miles and Ball and them hit a bunch of shit that they normally probably wouldn't. I mean, they're good enough. They can do it again. But I think Kansas wins. Let's go a lot of Super Tuesday matchups that have a lot of implications here. We'll go through quickly. Number eight, Baylor at number 12, Kansas State. Both teams trying to stay in the race for the Big 12. I mean, Kansas State's pretty much out of it now. They're two games back. Baylor's only a game out behind Kansas and Texas. Still have the opportunity to at least stake a share of the Big 12 regular season crown. Phil, how are we feeling about this one? Baylor at K-State, we know how tough the Octagon of Doom is.
0: The Octagon of Doom is very, very tough, but I think... Kansas State is starting to, uh, you know, go back to their mean a little bit. And I think that Baylor is starting to hit their stride despite the loss to Kansas on Saturday. And I think Baylor has a big victory here to really, you know, put a statement on uh, on their Big 12 season so far. So I'm going to take Baylor 88-75. to 75.
3: Peyton? Kansas State's lost four of the last six games. At one point, they were in first place of the Big 12. Uh, they were in the first place of the Big 12 conference this year, and I mentioned it to someone in the group. I don't know who uh, commented about it, talking about Kansas State and how they've fallen off here lately. Listen, it's different from being the Hunter than being the hunted. For so long, they've been the Hunter. They've been chasing Kansas for number one, chasing even now Baylor for number one, and when they got to the first place, kind of like what Clemson did in the ACC, and they become the hunted, it's a whole different ballgame. Now they they were mentally ready for that and they've struggled here lately i like phil's um what he said i think baylor wins by i think eight points or more too much yeah yeah
2: i think we're gonna go with a sweep here again as well um you talk about guard play though man baylor's backcourt against kansas state's backcourt is a very fun matchup but i know there's something special about the the octagon of doom but baylor just can put points up in different ways and i think they get enough stops down the stretch where it matters, and I think it's a high-scoring one. I'm going Baylor 90 to 85. I think that's a very fun matchup, though. At the top of the Big 12 conference, let's stay on Super Tuesday. Down in the SCC we got number 10 Tennessee at Texas a And a And M is now second in the Big or in the SCC conference. Tennessee, of course, has been faltering a lot. Both teams. This is going to be another rock fight. Texas a And M hangs their hat on defense. Tennessee hangs are hat on defense. This might be the first one to 55 wins this game. I just There's something about Buzz Williams and this team. They are nasty. They will grind you, and I know that plays in the Tennessee's favor, but we've talked about it. When it comes down to nut-cutting time, can Tennessee score? You look at A&M, they are second in the conference in scoring efficiency right now. That's enough for me. A&M continues to make a march or to make a mark in the FCC conference, trying to keep pace with Alabama, only a game back. And uh, Texas A&M beats Tennessee at home by 10. I think they're going to win 69-59, Texas A&M, baby.
3: Phil, go ahead.
0: Yeah, I think Tennessee's kind of hitting that – that lull that most teams have had this year and they kind of avoided it for a while. I think Texas A&M steals this one too and probably gets themselves a tournament, you know, a tournament defining win because they're a team that's on the bubble as well. I think AM wins 63 to 55.
3: Man, I don't like this matchup at all. I'm not a fan of this Tennessee team. A um, Texas A&M doesn't really do it for me either. But with being in conversation, having home court, we'll sweep this one. I don't have a score. I think Texas A&M wins a low-scoring one, like y'all said. Then let's uh, go to the Big East at the top of the Big
2: East conference here. This honestly, this matchup Tuesday night could decide who ends up winning the Big East conference because you got number 11 Marquette on the road at number 17 Creighton. Marquette does not lose at home in conference. Creighton really doesn't either that we talked about on Thursday. It's kind of been the story of the big East this year, those top like five or six teams hold home court. And then just who gets the road victories. Peyton, I'm coming to you. Can Marquette basically stake their claim to a big East regular season crown or do They open the door up for a team like
3: Creighton to sneak back in there. Josh, you mentioned it. Um, this has a lot going on to this game. I actually have – we talked about it before the show started. I have a crazy stat that if it holds true that I learned uh, that John Feinter was talking about um, on Field of 68, he said that if everything holds true and Clayton beats Marquette in Omaha on Tuesday, that – And they, they both, both of those teams win out. Both of those teams will be tied for with a 16 and 4 overall record in the Big East. They will have any sort of tiebreaker or any potential 16 and 4 Xavier team or 16 and 4 Providence teams. If they split the series of Clayton beats Marquette, they will split the series, which means they legitimately listen to this. If they split the series this year, they are legitimately will be tied for every single tiebreaker imaginable. Do you know what the tiebreaker? for the number one seed the Big East tournament, you know what that would come to? It would come to who has the higher net.
2: That's insane. To
3: determine the number one seed in the Big East tournament. Because if they split the series and they both go 16 or 4, every single tiebreaker they tie in. So it's going to come down to who has the higher net ranking to determine who gets the one seed in the Big East tournament. Phil, I thought that stat was ridiculous.
2: Phil? I don't know if it's Phil. There he
3: is. Is Here. Uh. uh, Um. Either way. There we um, are. See about a little mishap. I guess he's muted.
0: Yeah, I'm here. I froze for a second.
3: Oh. Not good. Um, talk about this game, though. I mean, it's very important for the Big East player. The sad I just mentioned is just ridiculous, and uh, I think I think Marquette holds home. I think Marquette gets the job done. I think I love their guard play. I love Tyler Colling. He's probably my favorite player in the Big East conference this year. And Shaka Smart's gonna find a way to get it done on the road. Marquette gets the job done, eighty-four to eighty.
0: I got to disagree with you here, Peyton. Uh, This is a huge game as far as the Big East race is concerned. Winner of this game really puts himself in the driver's seat to uh, win the regular season conference title. And I think Creighton, who a team that, you know, probably just three weeks ago, nobody would have given a chance, three full games out of first place. But Creighton's going to take this one and uh, ultimately take the Big East regular season title. I think I like them 90 to 81.
2: Yeah, I'm going with Phil there. Uh, There's something home court in college basketball specifically, but apparently in the Big East even more so. I'm going Creighton. I just love the way this team's made up. And Jerry Palm's bracket, I think he had them as like an eight seed. We talk about North Carolina State as a dangerous eight team. Creighton's a dangerous eight team. I'm going Creighton holding home court and making the Big East go down to the very last game of the regular season. I'm going Creighton wins this game 81-74. Let's go back to the Big 12 on Tuesday night as well. Number 18, Iowa State. At number six, Texas. I'll keep it short and sweet here. No Caleb Grill, no party for Iowa State. And even, honestly, if he is playing, I still think Texas, because we've talked about it, you don't go down to the Moody Center this year and beat them. Texas wins this game pretty comfortably by 13 or more points. I think Texas wins
3: 74-61. Yep, I agree. I think Texas wins by double digits. Texas holds home court.
0: Yeah, we're we're all on the Texas train here. I like them by double digits as well. But want to pose a question to you guys real quick because I feel like we've talked about the Kansases, the Baylor's, some of the other teams ranked in the top ten. Texas seems to be a, always that team that kind of slips through our fingers when we talk about the national title contenders. Are they in that conversation for you guys?
3: Uh, yeah, I think they got
2: the. Guys the golf I don't do so. think they're. I don't know. I'm so torn because I feel like we're being disrespectful to them, but they have the guard play, but there's – I don't know. It's like they're not sexy, and I know that's crazy to say, but I think when it gets down to nut-cutting time, do you trust them over in Alabama? Do you trust them against a Purdue? Even with the great backcourt, do you trust them against – we've seen what happens against Kansas already. Do you trust them against Houston? That's where I think that they're, yes, they can get to the final four and even a national title, but I think there's there's something missing and
3: I can't put my finger on it with Texas this is why I don't quite think that they can win the title. I don't know if they can win the title per se, but I definitely think with their guard play, they can get to a final four. And if they match up with a team like Alabama, if that's a, a matchup that happens in the tournament this year, then, you know, you can call me crazy. I think Alabama is just overall the better team, but I think Texas has the better backcourt. I mean, Marcus Carr, Tyrese Hunter and company, I mean, that that those two are fucking good and I think they have the better backcourt. Not saying i picked uh Texas to beat Bama, but I think if we're comparing backcourts, I think it's pretty clear to me that Texas has the better backcourt. I think they get to. I just think I think there's something about Texas
2: that they're prone, even with the backcourt, they're prone to going like 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 four, five, six minute droughts of where they're turning the ball over, taking bad shots, missing shots, and when you play a team like Alabama, that's deadly because that lead, especially missing the shots and turning the ball over that's given a team like Alabama or Houston wide open dunks and layups and threes. I, I just, there's something about that, the, that stretch or where they can't find the ball in the bucket is going to ultimately kill them. Phil, what do you think about that?
0: Yeah. And and this is why I brought it up. Cause you mentioned the being disrespect. I felt like we were being disrespectful a little bit, not quite putting them into that conversation, but I do. There's something that, it feels like separates them from that top tier of teams that they're just not quite on the same level. And maybe it's the consistency. I'm not quite sure. I just don't quite see that. I could see him going to a final four. I can see him pretty much competing with, you know, anybody in one given game, but for whatever reason, I just don't put them in that, that tier of title contenders. And I think they, again, if you look at the roster, they have the pieces, they have a great, they have a great backcourt, you know, you got Teddy Allen, uh, as a forward in the front court. So I think they have the pieces. There's just something about them that it just holds me back from being ready to make that dive.
2: And I I'm exactly right there with you. Can't put my finger on it, but there's something that I feel like it's not quite all the way there. But it's the last one midweek special go back to the big East number 22 Providence at number 24, Connecticut, both teams badly need this win for conference tournament seating. I don't think either, especially not Yukon, but Providence, I think they've, I mean, I'd have to go back and look at the Big East Conference right now, but I don't know if they can quite win the Big East right now. But very interesting game for seeding and all that. Uh, Peyton, what's your thoughts on Providence on the road at Connecticut here?
3: Well, part of it is—I mean, they're twelve and four in the Big East Conference. They only a game back. I mean, it's a three-way tie for second place between them, Clayton and Xavier. All three of those teams are tied at twelve and four. Marquette's leading the conference with thirteen and three overall record in the conference. So I definitely think, especially if they win this game, they could potentially win a share of the conference. Um, I don't think it's going to happen though. I think Connecticut's going to hold home court and get the job done. I think they're going to play well. I think they win seventy-four to sixty-nine.
0: I think UConn is going to start picking it up here at, at the right time of the year. And I still think they're a very dangerous tournament team. The size that they have, not too many teams are going to be able to match up against when their guards shoot the ball well. Jordan Hawkins, Andre Jackson, they're just, they're really tough. I like UConn in this one 75, 68.
2: I'll be the outlier here. I'm going Providence. I love their toughness. And I think when it we've seen with Connecticut, when it gets nut cut in time, they'll take bad threes. They'll fall in love with a three-point shot. And that, I think that's going to play right in the hands of Providence. We know how tough they are defensively, uh, just tough all around. And I think as long as they control the backboard, don't let Connecticut get hot from three and uh, force them into some turnovers. I think Providence goes on the road and gets a big win here and stays on pace in the Big East. Let's start wrapping this thing up here, let's go into our bank on it for the week. I'll keep mine short and sweet, Peyton. We're going to be there Saturday in Mackey Arena. I use sweeps Purdue. Don't ask me why. I think if you'd have asked me this a month ago, I thought no way Indiana wins at Purdue, and I know Purdue kind of bounced back today and beat up a really bad Ohio State team after struggling early. But I think Indiana laid the blueprint on how to beat Purdue. I think they're going to follow it again. I think Indiana goes in the hostile enemy territory, beats Purdue. Sweeps them on the year. Bank on it.
3: This might be boring, but actually, I I probably, I agree with you. I have the same bank on it. I think IU is definitely a. Uh, team that can get to the final four if they have Xavier Johnson back. Uh, but even without Xavier Johnson, this game, I think they overwhelm uh, Purdue's backcourt uh, like they did in the first matchup in the Assembly Hall. Uh, but I think Purdue's going to struggle. Zach Eadie is going to get a double double. He's going to do what he does best. Uh, Chase Xavier is going to be a definitely a big time player. But I think a guy like Miller Cop going on the road, he's going to hit some big time shots and he's going to be the difference maker in this game. I agree with you. That's actually my bank on it too. Indiana goes into Mackey Arena. We'll be there. We'll talk about more about that game more. Uh, weekend uh, week show uh, previewing that more going in depth on it, but I agree Indiana Sweets, Purdue. Bank on it.
0: I have a bank on it. Uh, it's it's not going out on a limb here, but I haven't been on the show in a few weeks, and uh, you know I, I really need to get on the board here. So bank on it, Duke big against Louisville on Monday night. I will be there to witness it, um, and I like Duke twenty. Duke by twenty plus.
2: That's big. Hey, if Louisville wins, if Louisville, if Louisville 20. beats Duke somehow, if Louisville beats Duke somehow, in Cameron yeah. and Cameron Jordan and runs their win
3: streak to two in a row, does that knock Duke out of the tournament with such a bad loss? Bro, you thought it was bad when I was talking shit about North Carolina earlier. You just wait if that happens. It won't happen. I think, you know, you mentioned 20-plus, and Nas if it's big. I mean, this year, I mean, I think they'll beat fucking Louisville's ass for like, almost, like, 35-plus. I don't think it's going to be a game. But I like it. I don't spice me. Well, I th- –
0: Yeah, I mean, I think
3: losing to Louisville is
0: almost – Automatically a tournament disqualifier. Like it's, yeah. they should make a quad five. It's a quad ten just... loss. <laughs> yeah, you said quad ten earlier. Like so, they should just make a special quad. Like, did you lose? It's almost like one of those bar charts. It's like, did you lose to Louisville? Yes. Can you go to the NCAA tournament?
3: No. Oh no. no. <laughs>
2: That'd be fucking great. That'd be great. Oh, you imagine a great season. You have that on your resume. They're like, nope, can't come in. Nope. <laughs> um, yeah, it, it, literally, literally great...
0: automatic discall. Uh,
2: this is a great segue for my shout outs because my first shout out is actually Louisville because they've went through hell and back their fan base has this year. So my first shout out is Louisville getting a big win, celebrating your 2013 national title, having a, a mostly full Yum Center. Happy for those guys. Shout out to the Louisville Cardinals. Shout out Chris Livingston from Kentucky because we mentioned he's been turning it on a lot lately. Big reason why the Cats have gotten solidly back in the tournament with his aggressive play, no fear attitude, hitting shots. Love to see it. My last shout out is a man who has made every program he's been at Marquette, Virginia Tech, and now Tech A and M better each year he's been there. They're going dancing. Their second SEC. And I promise you, Texas A&M is a team you do not want to see just because how physical they are. And they have a star now in Wade Taylor. So those are my three shout outs.
3: Phil, go ahead with yours.
0: I don't have three, just have two, but they're going to be uh, both kind of on the same page. Shout out to uh, Kevin Keats. We talked about it earlier, probably saved his job this year, but... Guy's won 59% of his games since he's been at NC State, won 11 and 75. Um, he's been to the NCAA tournament once, probably should have been two other times, and will probably be this year, which would meet be, be you know four and six years that he should have been there. So get off of his back, Wolfpack fans. The guy is doing as good of a job as you can do in the triangle if you're at a school not named UNC or Duke. Give the man a chance. And then also shout out to Paul McNeil joining the Wolfpack party. Uh, it'll be uh, fun to see him. Join the club in 2024, and hopefully, they'll have some good talent around him.
3: Two shout outs this week. Um, shout out to it? Maryland. Shout out to Maryland. Uh, Thursday night, uh, February 16th. Josh actually called this game. So actually, he forgot to mention it was his bank on it for this week. Uh, Maryland beats Purdue, Holmes whole court 68 to 54. A good win on their part. They're starting to play a little bit better now after going on a big time. Um, Skid where they wouldn't really play their best, especially in early January, Uh, or so January just in general. Shout out to them. My next shout out, listen, I'm going to go home. With, I don't give a damn. Um, Shout out to my Kansas Jayhawks. Big time win. One of the most impressive wins all season. This probably takes the cake over the Texas game where we, uh, Jalen Wilson, we still won that game. We only had like two points in that one. Uh, Coming back from down 17 points in Allen Fieldhouse. No lead is safe when you're playing in Allen Fieldhouse against Kansas. I don't give a damn who it is. Kansas is always in the running. It's not over until it's over. You gotta play a full forty minutes in outfield house to beat Kansas if you want to come out on top. Shout out to them and just to end it off. here, I forgot to play it earlier. We were talking about the Kansas game, but I'll go ahead and play it now. Got a certain Jayhawk, a Jayhawk fan who really um, made me a Jayhawk fan when I was a, a little kid, by like eight, nine years old. Um, been on the show before. You'd former co-host Tyler Cook. Before I play this, Kip, I, I just want to give a little preference here, a little prefix here to that. Corey, he mentioned Corey and Phil in this. He asked me, yesterday when I asked him to talk about the sending the clip. He asked me, what teams does Phil and Corey like? So he's going to talk some shit tonight since they both picked against Kansas this week. And I, of course, said Phil reps Illinois. Uh, Corey reps Indiana. He got you somehow mixed match. So, in this clip, he says Phil's an Indiana fan. Corey's an Illinois fan. Just d- don't listen to that. But listen to everything else. Here it is. If I can play it hold up
1: josh Corey, and phil (laughs) even though you guys are my favorite college basketball commentators probably the have the most inside of anybody i listen to you're subject to be wrong sometimes i'll cut you some slack but you motherfuckers done it twice two times in a row you guys clean sweeped picked against kansas And they proved you wrong, boys. I don't know what else to tell you. I've warped Peyton's mind into a little Jayhawk fanatic at a young age, but you guys were too far gone by the time I met you. You know, Josh, you're you're stuck on Kentucky. We know the the woes they're having here lately. Phil, you're an IU fan. I don't know how. They haven't won anything since the 80s. Kansas beat the living fuck out of them earlier this year. And Corey. As one of my teachers said back in the day, there's no noise in Illinois, especially come March this year, boys, cause y'all gonna get dumped. So I'm gonna, I'm gonna click, create some space. I'm gonna create some room. Okay. You guys can, can jump on the wagon, get, get on the hawk's tail with me. Come on. I'm just, I'm not even, not even gonna be mad. Just, just come on back to back. It keeps sounding better back to back. Get your mind right boys. Stop being biased towards my Hawks. Peyton knows. Your boys need to follow suit on that. Come on, guys. Come on. Jump on with me. <laughs> one of my favorite. Oh, hold on, hold you on, doing hold what on. You're doing just a little, just a little ribbing at you. I Appreciate you guys coming to us so often and giving us your guys's your insight and flow, Phil. It's been it's been awesome to watch you check out those Duke games, getting some. Uh, Awesome interviews and some seeing Coach K the other day is probably pretty cool for you. Josh, Payton. you guys getting out there and and going around here towards our our local areas and covering some pretty awesome games for us. I know you guys went to a, a bruiser in the Big Ten a little bit ago, but, you know, you guys keep getting out there, keep getting bigger, keep getting better. Appreciate you guys.
3: Just don't fuck with my Jayhawks. You guys should
2: know better by now. Let's go, man. I
3: told y'all. Don't fuck with him. Yeah, mother trucker. Phil. Oh, my God. God love Cook lisa love he, he might have got you i mean wrong, i wish lisa... he could have at
0: least gotten the team that i liked right but yeah, I mean, i'll take it and i he... do i appreciate uh the, the love
3: yeah i was gonna say i mean he got the teams wrong but at least he showed some love towards the end um he's been appreciating all of us so what we've done so far especially this year, and he's been with us since pretty much, literally day one since we started doing this podcast and facebook group so shout out to cook and uh I'm going to keep on telling you, don't go against my Jayhawks. I'm glad you listened this time when we previewed the TCU game. Uh, rock Chalk, let's go. Which means they'll probably, probably lose, so you should probably want
2: us to go against them. But let's honestly, let's finish this off. That was very nice to cook. I appreciate that, all as always. Let's do our Big Ten draft here. Phil, you've got the honors of the number one pick, and we talked about this off air. I know it's going to confuse and upset some people, but let's hear your number one draft pick in this fantasy Big Ten draft.
0: Yeah, you know, I've been kind of going back and forth as we've gone throughout the show on what I'm going to do here, but I do think that I'm going to go the route that I told you earlier, and I think I take arguably the most versatile player in the Big Ten, could play him at either of the guard positions, could probably play him at the small forward if you wanted to. I'm going to take Jalen Pickett from Penn State.
3: Josh, you up. I will go – sorry,
2: I lagged it for a second. I will take Trace jackson Davis. I think that's a home run easy pick.
3: Give me TJD. All right, well, I'm kind of surprised he's here, but also I get it. Uh, I'd be stupid not to take him if he's going to fall to me, and I get two picks here anyways. Uh, let me get Zach Eady, And then let me get – dude, I love this kid. He's been balling out for Northwestern this year. Let me get Boo Booey. That's a good pick. I like Boo.
2: Um, to go along with TJD, I will take... Ooh, that's a good one. Um, damn, that's a tough... Give me... Um, Give me Joey Hauser. I like his versatility. Give me Joey Hauser. Phil, you get two.
0: Yeah, I'm going to go... So I'm going to say that we're playing Jalen Pickett at the point guard because I think that's reasonable. So we're going to go shooting guard here. And again, I think he's versatile. I think you could play him at the shooting guard, small forward, or honestly the power forward. We're going to take Bryce Sensabaugh. Then with my next pick, I'm going to go Jet Howard.
2: Oh, that's a good one. I like Jet. I will take... I need a guard since I got two bigs here. I need a guard really bad. Let's go. Let's go. Hmm. You know what? I'll take Jalen Hood Shafina. I I like him in a lineup like this with other shooters and big time guys. Give me Hood Shafina.
3: I'm going to move this kid to a shooting guard, Josh. We got to see him play live about a week ago. Um, uh, yeah. Let me get Tyson Walker, which can say big fan of this kid. Um, next year, I think he could be a big-time player for them. Uh, I'm going to go a little bit of a small lineup here. Uh, I'm a small forward. Oh, shit. Actually, I don't know. You know what? Let me get TJ Shannon. I like let me it. get TJ Shannon, Shannon Jr. Give me one of the better
2: scorers in the country right now, let alone the Big Ten. Give me Jameer Young to go on my backcourt. I'm up, right? Yeah. So. I think this is what your final two here. Yeah. Yeah.
0: Yeah. So unless I miss something, uh, I'm going to take Chris Murray.
2: Damn it. Uh, that's a good one. Shit.
0: I'm, I'm always shocked when we get to these later rounds and I'm like, wait, did I miss here? Like, is this guy actually still there? But <laughs> I have a ton of guys who can score in this lineup. So I'm a little worried about them sharing one ball, but I think we can figure it out.
2: And then your last pick.
0: Oh, yeah, I'm being Corey today, forgetting how the uh, the snake works. But <laughs> I need a center here, and I need somebody that really doesn't rely on, uh, you know, getting the ball in their hands offensively. I'm going to take Cliff Omariuri. I butchered Omer-Uri. that name, but absolute beast of a center from Rutgers.
2: Yeah, Gosh. it's a big time shot blocker, rim protector, and he pulls it out. I'm gonna go with shooter here to go along with Hood Shafino and Jameer Young in the backcourt. I think with those two guys, hand on the ball and score, and this guy'll have a lot of post or a lot of open three opportunities. Give me one of my favorite shooters in the country. Give me Fletcher Lawyer to round out
3: my team. Oh, the, oh, yeah, I was thinking about taking him. My final pick, um, I need a guy who would stretch it out. He's going to play f- the four positions to me, but he's going to stretch it out, hit some shots. Very happy you you didn't take him because then I had a call in audible here. My second alumni, let me go, Matthew Mayer. Ah, oh, that's nice. That's nice. Well, there's our
2: fantasy Big Ten teams. We will post them here a little bit later on, but. Rounding on episode 139 as we look ahead towards the final two weeks of the regular season in our March to Madness. We've got a lot of big games that's going to decide a lot of conference title races. When we come at you for episode 140 in the midweek, if everything pans out, we will be joined by the creator and founder of The Road to the Garden to talk all about this crazy Big East title race talk about the games that we just previewed with the Creightons and the Marquettes and the Xavier's and everything in between. We'll be joined by Matt Satan-Jean of Road to the Garden in the midweek episode 140 epi- or edition of Everything College Basketball. Cannot wait for that. But for Peyton, for Phil, and for Corey who wasn't able to make it today, we hope you guys enjoyed this episode, and we will catch you on episode 140 in the midweek. Until then, hope you guys enjoy the rest of college basketball this week, and we will catch you down the road.